Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means today I was in the presence of uh, Kirk Cousins because he came back to Washington for the first time since 2017. And uh, that didn't make a lot of you happy, uh, part because you're not a Kirk Cousins guy and also because he led the Vikings to a fourth quarter to 17 uh joining me here to discuss the various things that happened in today's game is our friend matt parish from the washington times matthew uh have you been able to uh just give me uh, have you been able to recover from watching that scintillating football since uh, i saw you last uh you know i'm still trying to wrap my head around it because it was a weird one it you think about it, the defense played well, the offense played all right, and yet they're sitting here with the loss. It feels like a game they should have won. It does. It does. Um, of course, the game that everybody is most interested in this town is about the game of what's going on with Dan Snyder's ownership. Um, I had a conversation with Ben Fisher from the Sports Business Journal this weekend. I'll play for that. I'll play that for you guys after Matt and I talk here about what happened on the field today. There was also a little bit of a Dan Snyder uh, rumor report that came out as well. So we'll, we'll sort of tack on that here with Matt as well. Of course, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. You can also subscribe through the athletic uh, and you'll be able to see the article that I had up today. And if you go follow Matt, on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris, P-A-R-A-S. You can find all of his fun work, including what he had to write about this game. And I'm at Ben Standig as well. Um, I think you're right. I think that ultimately this is a game they blew, except that this is how the NFL works because last week was probably a game they should have lost, right? I mean, they were down 10 points to the Colts or nine points to the Colts. And uh, they scored 10 in the last 455 to win this game. You know, another punchless first half offensively. They're down at halftime, 7-3. Kurt, uh, Ter- Ter- Heineke throws a terrible pass into triple coverage that somehow lands in the hands of Curtis Samuel for a 49-yard touchdown in part because the back, the back judge, like, picked one of the Vikings defensive backs out of the play, leaving just enough room for Samuel. And then, you know, that kind of sparked Washington. They get a 17-7 lead, but they can't hang on. And I, I think you and I were talking right before we started, like what's sort of our big takeaway. And, you know, I'm probably, I just overly think about the big picture stuff too much rather than like what happened in this game, which we will discuss. But like from a big picture, their margin of error is just simply not, it, it, it's minuscule. The last three opponents they played, based on where those teams are right now, just don't have enough to, um, to they didn't have enough to over or to take advantage of Washington's mistakes uh, or limitations. And Minnesota did. I mean, Minnesota's hardly crushing teams, but they did enough to, uh, you know, to, to come back because they have a quarterback who can make plays. They have playmakers on both sides of the ball. And, um, you know, between the, the fact that they are limited to quarterback, the coaching staff, I didn't think necessarily had their best game. You know, it, to me, it's just a margin of error thing. And, you know, they could have won, sure. But Minnesota, you can't leave the door open for a good team. They did. 
and it, you know it cost them this time. Yeah, no, I mean this is a game that every drive felt like a big drive because you knew the margin of error for Washington was thin after Minnesota went up seven to nothing in the first, it was like, uh Oh, is Washington going to be able to hang in there? Because you, know, you think about that three game winning streak, the, the most they fell behind was 11 points. And that was at green Bay. They had really kind of been in these games and that was another one. And so, yeah, you know, they were in it in the end, the defense played relatively well, but yet there were just enough mistakes that cost them. All right. Sorry. I, by the way, I just realized, but I hit, I, Hit something with my mic, but I think we're 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 in a better position now. Um, uh, and by the way, I just realized that I did something here on my laptop and, and botched my mic for a sec, but I think we're back on on track. Yeah, I mean, I think like I saw it was funny. I was talking to our Vikings reporter for the Athletic, uh, Alec Lewis, after the game a little bit, and obviously, you know, he's his team is riding high, seven and one. They're on a six game winning streak. But he's like, look, they could easily be two and six. They, they've been winning a lot of these games pretty close, you know, from a spread perspective today was essentially a push. And, you know, he still doesn't quite know what to make of them. And that is a fair perspective from his end. But from this end, you know, I, it's like, I, I just, I think we're, we're all, we all see, or most of us see the limitations that they have, particularly on offense. And it feels like Taylor Heineke, whenever he's about to do something, everybody holds their breath on every single play almost, especially when he's throwing the ball. And maybe that's somewhat unfair in the sense that like, he's been a 500 quarterback since he's been starting in games for Washington, but it's just, you know, they're just limited to what they can do. And, you know, like I said, the Samuel pass, like he only threw for 149 yards today, the Samuel pass that should have been, if not intercepted, knocked down by three different defenders, um, was 49 yards. So he only threw the ball for 100 yards over the course of the game. And it's not like they were running the ball for a crazy amount of yards. They had like 269 yards, I want to say, net in, in the entire game. Um, I, again, I, Taylor Heineke had won the previous starts. I, I'm not knocking him at all. He's totally fine for what he is. We all understand that. But, you know, this has been my, I guess, just broad frustration when you look at the big pictures. Where is this thing going? I would argue right now you should probably keep Taylor Heineke in instead of Carson Wentz whenever Wentz is available to come back, assuming Heineke doesn't throw up all over himself next week in Philly. But at the same point, like, I I can't, for me, non-fan, I can't, I just, just, I struggle to get here and be, like, worked up one way or the other. Um, If they had won, I would have said, look, the defense played outstanding for the most part, and and they legitimately did. But um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to knock Taylor Heineke. He's fine. It's just asking him to do too much, which sometimes I feel like this offensive, which Scott Turner maybe is, is just part of the problem. And today was an example of that. He throws, of course, the interception, Matt, in the fourth quarter. Bad throws happen. It was overthrown Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas is like, hey, you know, quarterbacks overthrow all the time. But it was in a crucial spot, and he just doesn't have the good – to consistently overcome mistakes by him or by the team. And that's why I'm just sort of like, I, I don't, okay, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, not to make this just like a Wentz versus Heineke debate, but I kind of think uh, why maybe Washington should go back for him once, once is healthy is 
you know, you think about every answer that Ron Rivera has given on Taylor Heineke and he uh, did it again today is they know who he is. You know, they know the limitations. They know the strengths. You could argue that people know who Carson Wentz is because he's been in the league for so long, but yet Washington invested so many resources in him. It had only been six games, not a great six games, but, uh, you know, I think there's an upside there that for Wentz that you could potentially see if you go back to it. And I think that's worth exploring a little bit, but the the offense probably is a little bit more electric with Heineke in there. And you kind of see that in the, the throw to Samuel, for instance, but um, yeah, it's, it feels like there's just like a few cold spells every game with Heineke under center. And it's when are those cold spells going to happen and can Washington get through them at, at you know, Indianapolis, they could today. They couldn't. Right. I mean, so like in the first two games of the season, they scored 28 and 27 points, split those games. Again, not saying Jacksonville and the, and the Lions are any good. The Lions defense is so bad. They've already fired their secondary coach this season. Um, but since then, they've only scored more than 17 points one time. That was last week against Green Bay. But the point is sort of that even with the weapons that they have, I just don't, the ceiling, this has been the point. This is why they went to find Carson Wentz or somebody else over Heineke because they're just limited. 23-17-17 is what they've scored with Heineke. I don't know if they can score much more. Like, and, And that's the thing with Wentz, to your point, because of his big arm, he can make those bigger plays and you can pick up 30, 40 yards. His issues are he's not good on like second and six or like finding the guy underneath. And that's why it almost feels like they're more efficient with Heineke, but yet it's just not as potent. So, okay. I don't want to, we don't have to talk. We we don't have to talk much more about the quarterbacks, but just in terms of the broad picture, that's just kind of where where, where I'm at now as with, and here, just last thing, I guess, um, you know, Ron Rivera called this game a measuring stick game coming into the week. And he said afterwards, because uh, I kind of brought that up again to him in the postgame press conference. He was like, yeah, I really thought we could win, you know, yada, yada, yada. We didn't take advantage, take advantage of opportunities. I, most games in the NFL, it feels like comes down to one or two plays. Like that's just the nature of this sport, especially this year, where it's gone from good teams to parody to like mediocrity. So that's why I'm like, just because they're in it, I don't take away from like, this is like they're moving forward towards something. I will say that the defense by and large played pretty well. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins had some moments. Justin Jefferson was a problem as to be expected, but you know, they, they didn't really do much on the ground. I thought Benjamin St. Juice w- was pretty good. He, Jefferson got him a few times, but he had some really good plays. He had a pick six that, mm, I don't know. It could have, you know, it's, Easily, I think could have gone the other way, and where it counted, and that would have really put the put the screws to Minnesota at that point. And the defensive lineman just hit Cousins over and over and over again. So I think the defense has looked pretty good now for several weeks. Um, but it's just you know the offense, I, I, you know, they just seem limited to what they can do, and 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 that's you know whether it's Heineke or Scott Turner or t- the offensive line or whatever else you want to say, like that to me is kind of where that they're at, but. I mentioned the defense. What did you think? Or what, let's go to the St. Juice play. What did you think of that play uh, where he p- intercepts a pass to Jefferson, runs it back in the end zone, but the refs, I guess, called some hand fighting and called pass interference instead? Yeah, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with the penalty. I could see where they were coming from. 
we talked to St. Juice in the locker room afterward, and he said that he would probably play it the same way uh, every time. You know, that's just kind of the cornerback he is. And I think he's in a very effective quarterback. I think you could look at this um, roster and argue that he's their number one now. You know, they traded William Jackson. Kendall Fuller's had an up-and-down year. And what he's been able to do on the up, on the outside has been really impressive. And I think that what really stood out about his performance today was just the way that St. Juice is able to use his body to position to keep up with Justin Jefferson. You mentioned that Jefferson beat him sometimes. That's going to happen. Jefferson's a top five receiver in the NFL. But, you know, I've been really impressed with his growth. It does seem like he's taken another step here in his second year. Yeah, I think he's been I think he's been good. Look, uh, you know, if they 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 had not lost a game since William Jackson was essentially benched, or at least a game that, you know, not kind of the game within he was benched. They had won the next three games. And like, you know, look, Minnesota did some good things today offensively. Like you said, Justin Jefferson's a beast and they have some good players. Um, but they also only had seven points with uh, you know, into the fourth quarter. So they did it. Washington's defense did a pretty good job. I, I think to to sort of go back to sort of the Heineke point is is just to say this: if you're gonna have so the NFL these days, the quarterback play is insanely not great. Uh, what a weird phrase! It's not great. I mean, you know, Aaron Rodgers. I don't know what's going on there. Russell Wilson. You know, Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford weren't exactly lighting it up today in their head-to-head matchup. Quarterback play isn't great to the point that if you just have a normal, an average quarterback, sort of like where Heineke might be, then maybe you have a chance if you are pretty good in the other areas. Now, their defense, like I said, I think it's played pretty well, but I, I feel like maybe the coaching staff kind of let them down a little bit here today. And I think there was some definite confusion over some of Ron Rivera's decision making when it came to using timeouts, some of the, the challenges things like that uh what was there any there was a few different things that, that that occurred including not calling a timeout before the two minute warning let it go down after um and then on four, oh, we didn't even mention that after they held the vikings to force a field goal john ridgeway was called for an unsportsmanlike penalty for uh basically you know whacking the the long snapper and the refs determined that that was not kosher and uh, that gave Minnesota the ball, let, let them a new set of downs, let them um, run the clock down from about two minutes to like 13, 12 seconds. And that effectively closed the game. They then made the game winning field goal. But was there anything, one any aspect of all that that was happening with the decisions, the timeouts, the all, all that that was most uh, notable for you? It's not even a play that necessarily cost them the game because they forced a three and out after it happened, but I can't get over that fourth and one rollout call um, right after timeout. My number one pet, I watch a lot of the NBA, uh, big Nuggets fan. My number one pet peeve when watching basketball is a poorly executed play after a timeout. Why burn the timeout if you're just going to waste the possession? So what, what happened here? <laughs> they call the timeout, fourth and one, Taylor Heineke rolls out. I get the concept, right? You know, you roll him out, trying to take advantage of his yards, uh, of his legs to try and get that yard. But, Ben, isn't that the reason you drafted Brian Robinson? Because you were missing a running back like that? The guy's 6'2", 
We've seen him convert short yardage situations. Just have him run the ball. They said they like. I know Minnesota's stout up front, but God, I mean, even I it worked last week because you know Heineke found Curtis Samuel on fourth and one uh, on the drive that they went ahead in the Colts game. But God, I thought that play was even a little bizarre, and I just I don't I don't get it. I don't mind going for it at all. I thought that was the right call. It's just the play call itself that I thought was really confusing. Yeah. It, look, I mean, it's one of those things where to a certain degree, like Scott Turner is damned if he does name it, if he doesn't, you know, if they run the ball and get stuff, people say, Oh, it's boring and whatever. But th- this goes to sort of my point. I, I just don't think, look, the ball was there. I think it was catchable from McLaurin, but yeah, like it's to your point, like, they should be a run first attack mentally right now with this team because of who Taylor Heineke is. He also thrives in play action, but like, don't put the ball in his hand so much. Like, like what you just said, you know, doing that or even having Heineke go for a sneak. Yeah. It, 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 it just felt like it's not so much for me that it didn't work. It just felt out of character for what I think their character should be. Um, And, and, and that's one reason I really didn't kind of like, that call either um yeah no i mean to follow up on that you know heineke was saying in the the postgame press conference that that play necessarily wasn't necessarily dictated by um minnesota's defense or what they saw on film they just installed that play because they happened to like that play well you know when the when the games are close like that kind of stuff can matter and uh, you know it the game plan today reminded me a lot of actually how they were using Carson Wentz at quarterback to begin the year. It's very pass heavy on first down. Um, it, it seems like until it was, took a few drives for them to actually start running the ball. I think Antonio Gibson didn't get his first carry until it was second and 10 might've been the second quarter at that point. It, it was maybe Washington's third drive. Uh, if you have a stat sheet and had a made look that up then, but um yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting game plan, and uh, you would expect them to be a little bit more run heavy, especially because the game was close. Yeah, for 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 sure. And this all comes to uh to to bring up a different component of 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 all this. Uh, so as I said before, Ron Rivera. So they get to they get near the end of the of the game. Minnesota has the ball. It's third down before the two-minute warning, and Washington does not call a timeout. They let, they let it go to the two-minute warning and go from there. Minnesota, as I said, they stopped the Minnesota in the next play, but there was the penalty. They gave them the new set of downs. Okay. But in terms of the uh, of the of the decision, he's asked, Rivera's asked by our friend Michael Phillips, why did you go, why did you do that instead of taking the timeout before? None of us know what's going to happen when you make a decision. Right, I call it Matt Paris. He's a star podcast guest. I don't know. Maybe he's got laryngitis. Maybe he's he's half pay, he's half paying attention to me because he's watching. He's, he's breaking down Nuggets tape, or you know, maybe he takes off and he's like, "Wow, Matt Paris is the best podcast guest I've ever had." Who knows? We'll figure it out as we go along. You try to make the right call, but whatever it is, when you're in the position that Rivera's in, you'd like to think you're going to say, "Well, Buck stops with me. I'm going to sort of do this." So when he's asked this question, his response said with me dripping with disdain was, well, that's what the analytics said. 
and this isn't the first time he's done this before. And to me, I'm not a fan of this response. To my point before about the coaching staff, maybe let this, maybe let the offense down a little bit or, or the team a little bit today. And that's like, if if you think the, uh, analytics is just information, if you think this information makes sense, then use the information. If you don't, then don't. But once you make the call, that's the call. Don't say it like, well, I did this because basically if we didn't do this, you guys would tell me, I, why didn't you listen to the analytics? Screw whatever any of us think. You're in charge. Make the call. And if you make the call, don't say, well, analytics said this. Just do it. And I, that to me was sort of symbol. Like to your point of like the all the other stuff, the fourth down play, like what 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 makes sense for this team in this moment? Do that. Don't like own whatever you're doing and just do do what makes sense. I, I didn't like that response. No, uh, and I don't know if that's analytically correct. Well, then like, there's I, that. I, I, I need to see the math on that. Like, I don't know if what analytics guru is saying you should take a timeout. Your win probability increases. If you take it after the two-minute warning, and hey, look, if it wasn't for that red, this is the point that Rivera made was, if it wasn't for that penalty, they'd still get it back with 156 left. You could run a two-minute drill. But Phillips countered, and I think it's a legitimate counter, is if they throw an incompletion there, and then you have the two-minute warning, you get it. You still have your timeout on the other side. So I just, I don't know I'd be interested if someone broke down the numbers there. I mean, sometimes we get those emails from, uh, you know, analytical sites uh, and uh, Amazon's next gen stats sometimes blasts emails out. Uh, there was some newsletter last year <laughs> that I got in my inbox. That was really helpful. Um, hoping I get one of those tomorrow that to, if, if it breaks it down, because uh, I just, I don't know if the math checked out there. Yeah, no, that's, that was the other part. For 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 sure. Um, couple other things just to get to here. Um, we we talked before about St. Jude's one play he made we didn't mention uh, in the first half at the end of the first half. Uh, Minnesota's up seven three, but they take the ball and they right they get it back with less than a minute in the first half within like two or three plays. They're in field goal range. Rather than just sort of conserve go conservative and kick. They went for it. Cousins throws in the end zone to Jefferson, but St. Juice is right there, gets his hand up, knocks the ball away. He's able to look back at the last second, uh, literally the last second, to avoid the pass interference call. Tips it up. Ball goes to Danny Johnson, who's in there to to um, to make the interception. And one thing to note about that is it was Danny Johnson making the interception uh, because why was Danny Johnson even in the game? I'm not saying that was a wrong call, but they had been going with Rashad Wild Goose. Danny Johnson, we've talked about this before. Last year, he's the the guy that came in and played a, a slot a lot when they had injuries. All offseason, during training camp, he's in the mix like as like the third or fourth corner, basically, or fourth corner, I guess. And then he gets cut. He's on the practice squad. Now he's in there for Wild Goose. I'm not even sure exactly why. It's stuff like that that drives me crazy. You can tell me that Wild Goose should play. Fine, but like what I don't know what changed and how do we go from Danny Johnson's there to this. Anyway, he made a good play. I haven't looked we we're talking, I haven't looked at the tape, and I don't know how well he or anybody else necessarily played, but that was just stood out to me both that they made the switch in terms of who was playing and that <laughs> it was with a guy who just a couple weeks ago wasn't even on the roster 
for reasons that were weird to me. No, it's a good point. And just to kind of go back to our conversation about Rivera's decision, the Vikings choice to be aggressive there, I thought was really, maybe that's just the advantage that you have with the franchise quarterback. Maybe if Ron Rivera had Kirk Cousins, he'd be this aggressive, but you know, it, it, it just was really kind of telling the way that they were able to push the ball down the field there. Normally with, if that was Washington, it feels like they would have run the ball. If they had gained 10 to 12 yards, maybe they would have called a timeout. If it was three or four, maybe they wouldn't. And then they would take a, a shot down the field. It just, it feels like it's kind of operating in two different mentalities and maybe it's just Kirk Cousins, but I, I kind of think it is a, a difference in philosophy too. Yeah. I mean, I do think like last week, my takeaway was when Washington had more time on the clock than Minnesota did and basically just kind of really, really slow played the situation. To me, it was, we don't really trust Taylor Heineke enough in this spot or, or our situation and just in general with the offense. So we're going to be conservative and, not uh not do anything and I, it almost cost them last week just because obviously they needed to ratchet it up at the end so i think having minnesota having a more stable quarterback and washington not is a factor but also yeah i mean ron rivera seems like he's willing to play a lot of conservative offense in general and that includes uh the end there uh lastly before i let you go well actually two things before i let you go just cousins in general uh he was back um you know, we didn't do a ton throughout the game or didn't do a ton in terms of getting generating points until the end. He took a ton of hits from Deron Payne and others, but he kept slinging it and he really made some great throws. The t- the 12-yard touchdown pass to Dalvin Cook was a perfect throw on a wheel route. He had another one to Justin Jefferson up the sideline. Um, you know, again, we can have all the debates about whether Kirk Cousins gets you anywhere, whether Washington should have kept him or not or whatever. I wrote about that this week. But in terms of this game, I mean, I think, you know, in a, in, a, in a moment in time where a quarterback play is pretty down, Minnesota has a guy that can make plays um, and make up for mistakes in ways that Washington, a lot of teams right now just can't do that. Yeah, that 47-yard bomb to Jefferson where he got hurt. I mean, that was, that was a play that, you know, you want your franchise quarterback to make. He did. It was – it was really impressive, and that's kind of what separates it. You know, there are questions whether Kirk Cousins can get you to that next level, but it was a 1 p.m. kickoff, and he looked fine. You know, it, it <laughs> he, he looked he looked fine. You know, I just thought it was nice, Ben, that you decided to podcast uh, without your shirt on and wear that same kind of chain that uh, Cousins did uh, on the plane, and you were doing the dance beforehand. So, you know, it was a nice tribute to Kirk Cousins that you decided to do uh, just before you started recording. Yeah, absolutely, and and, ba- and based on that, now not since you're looking at me, I guess I have, my only question is, you like that? <laughs> All right. Um, and and just lastly, so it was. I thought the fans today, like I think we were all kind of wondering what the fan reaction was going to be. There are a lot of variables here. You had the Kirk Cousins variable, but more prominently, you had the variable of we just the other day we're put into a world where Dan Snyder might be selling this team. And the last time they played a home game, there were sell the team chance. Um, now we can only really hear what's happening in front of us. I didn't hear anything during the game. When the game was over, I did hear some fans chanting, sell the team as we were walking down to, to the media room. 
so I thought the fans, I thought it was a pretty good showing for the fans. They were really into it. That's a positive sign. But it, today was also a day in which there was at least another report about this idea of whether Dan Snyder is going to, uh, what's, is he going to sell? And if it does, when's it going to happen? There was some more definition here. I t- again, I talked about this um, in the conversation. I'll play for you guys in just a minute. But the idea basically is he might, the, the, the talk of like a March, like the next um, league meetings in March could be the target date for that. And that it could, the, the price could be around 7 billion. My basic takeaway from any of that is we keep hearing people talk about that. It's these are the parameters for when it happens almost not whether he's only selling some, or is this just a trial balloon? Mostly it's yeah, that's the time frame. And what's that's interesting. I don't know if those, if all those conversations are based on fact or speculation, but we're several days since that this all started and you're not really hearing too many people going, Oh, he's only, he's not going to do anything here. He's only going to solve part. It feels like it's heading in the bigger picture direction still, but what's your take? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, I just don't know how he goes back from this. If you wanted to just get uh, a few minority partners, why would you put that out there? like that um you're giving fans hope and you think of all the other circumstances with the rest of the league of how Jim Irsay's comments seems like the winds are really shifting against him and so yeah I mean it makes complete sense to sell it just was a question of whether he was prideful enough to do it or not or was he going to be stubborn and you know seven seven billion dollars can go a long way to to help uh some pride but you know, I thought the timing was just as notable as necessarily the seven billion thing. What I was told um, earlier in the week was that really the NFL fi- the NFL finance committee has to approve a move like this, and the committee meets every few weeks before uh, the league owners meeting. So that the next owners meetings are in December, December fourteenth in Dallas. That's the next one. So the finance committee will start meeting a few weeks before then. And if there's no deal in place there, then March would be the next kind of time frame uh, to, to look for. But that said, um, if Snyder does get a deal, they can always call a special session. Um, you think about the Broncos sale that, that was approved in August. Uh, they called a special meeting just for that. So this kind of could happen anytime, but you know, if it does happen in March, I think that would be really fast. I mean, the Broncos sold, that quickly, but that all was also kind of a multi-year process if you think about it, because there was questions of would the team be for sale, would it would it be for sale, how would the Pat and successor succession <laughs> storyline kind of play out? But once the Broncos actually did go on the market, they went relatively quickly. Uh, very true. I'll I'll I share my comments in the conversation with Ben Fisher, so I'll I'll leave that there. Uh, Matt, I appreciate the time. The last second invite. I'll let you get back to. Uh, you know, your GoFundMe uh, to, to, to put up your own ownership group. I don't know if RG3 is in char- a part of, of what you're looking to do to, to buy this team, but, you know, 
best of luck in that, or at a minimum, best of luck in covering the team uh, as you do so well for the Washington Times. Uh, thank you. Uh, since Kevin Durant uh, expressed his interest, uh, I'll contact him and see if he wants to join. Uh, probably not Kyrie Irving, though. That that's We're going to leave him out of this. Yeah, I would probably avoid him on that. That'd be, that'd be a good list. What players... You know, good clickbait slideshow. What players, what athletes should be part of a hypothetical ownership group? You could come up with all kinds of things. Maybe get Ovechkin involved. Who knows? All right. Needless to say, the, the top story in town these days is whether or not the Snyders will be selling the organization. And one of the people who's had some news on the topic is joining us today. Ben Fisher from the Sports Business Journal. Ben, I appreciate the time. Uh, Dan Snyder keeping you busy as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm hoping to take a Saturday off to watch a little college ball. But uh, yeah, Dan gave me a busy week for sure. It's, it's not the first time he's done it. It's not the last time either. I'm sure. No, no, no doubt. By the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna completely veer off of this. Your 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 Twitter bio says you're an iced uh, coffee enthusiast. H- help me out here. Every time I want to get iced coffee, my concern is I'm getting too much ice or too much milk depending on what it is what what am i missing here because that to me is the biggest hang up it's just i'm just not getting enough coffee in there because it's other stuff uh fair question um first of all i'm a high octane no milk type of guy so i avoid that problem by going straight black and i do an iced americano where it's really just the espresso over ice so that guarantees me that it's uh it's nothing but the hard stuff but cold so i can drink it and get that caffeine into my body even faster so uh, my doctor is somewhere shaking his head, um, but it works for me. I, I, I had always done, I mean, my, my coffee evolution has taken time. I'm pretty much just a little bit of cream and uh, the coffee. But um, what if I go to like Starbucks or something, I've evolved to one shot of espresso. But this week, because everything has been going on, I went, I one order, I went to two. That was for me, like pushing, pushing the limit. It was like climbing K2 or something. Um, <laughs> I think there's four or five in a venti iced Americano. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to stop that someday. <laughs> well, it won't be. My guess is it won't be this week uh, no. with, all, with, with all that's going on. Might be after I'm reassigned off the NFL beat, to be honest with you, because, you know, first is Denver and then it's going to be Washington and there's another story behind it. So anyway, too much yeah. money in it not to keep us uh, caffeinated. Ab- ab- absolutely. Um, obviously, I want to get into what you um, w- what you wrote about. Uh, for the uh, Sports Business Journal and just kind of where this thing is going. But I want to go back for a quick second here. So on Wednesday morning, around 11 o'clock or so, we're all driving out to Ashburn <laughs> for the day of practice. And the Forbes story drops and then uh, a saying that they've had that the Snyders have hired Bank of America to potentially sell something. <laughs> we don't really know what yet. And then we get subsequently get a, a follow-up statement from the organization saying, that um, they're exploring all options. And that's where we, that, that, that set us off now on this path of, wow, what's going to happen? But right before that, where were you on this subject? Because it does feel like even if you believe that Snyder, anybody believed Snyder would sell, that wasn't the posture he was, he was holding just a few days prior when he makes the, the, the statement and uh, responding to Jim Ursay in a, in a statement saying, you know, we will never sell. And he's been defiant all along. So where were you prior to all this? What Where did you think this was headed? Oh, I mean, 10 minutes before that Forbes story drops, I am still on the operating assumption that Dan Snyder's pre- prepared to go to ground and, and scorch the earth to prevent this from happening. 
Um, it had grown probably more possible in my estimation that there could be some negotiated solution here. I mean, you know, I don't think it takes a genius to understand he was going to be under incredible pressure to do something like this to avoid the worst case scenario. But, you know, at some point, there's such a thing as overcomplicating things. And like you said, his own words, putting out statements attacking Jim Irsay and sort of insisting that that ESPN report wasn't right in the middle of the owner's meeting, um, you know, saying he's not going to sell. There had been zero official indication to think he was going to do anything but fight this all the way. Right. A hundred percent. He's, I mean, you know, we've all been wondering on this end, like, God, this is seems so miserable. I get that. And owning an NFL team is, is really fun and you're making a lot of money off it, or you will eventually once you sell and make you know, now, but like, you know, you're just a, you know, you're reviled in the, in your hometown and everybody's mad at you. Plus it's not like the team is winning, <laughs> you know, even if all, even if we were focused on all the, uh, uh, negative culture situations, I'm not saying people, well, some people would certainly overlook it for winning, but I'm just saying it's not like there's that, there's not even anything fun going on here. So why would he want to keep it? And yet he, he, he obviously was doing whatever he could to do it. So that begs the question on some level, whatever is happening here, whether he's ultimately selling the, the franchise in flat out or, or just reconsidering, what do you think flipped in these last couple of weeks to put us in the position that where we are now? Right. And it's a, a good question and it's a hard question to answer because in terms of what we know factually, very little has really changed since the start of the season. You know, it's not as if any of these investigations have put out a final report that could happen any day. Um, but, you know, sort of the record on Dan Snyder is not much different than it was three months ago. Right. Yet it seems that uh, seems that politically a situation has got much worse. And let's give credit where credit is due. I think that's to a large extent a result of the ESPN article on October 13th, I think it was, that just sort of really laid out in crystal clarity what sort of the, 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 um, the standing uh, state of play is and how toxic that is. And, um, you know, as, as, as you alluded to, I reported in my SBJ newsletter this Thursday that while Ursay was out there publicly saying this, there had been some private conversations. Some owners, uh, maybe not for the first time, but for the first time in this context, had gone to Snyder directly and made an appeal to him that said, really, there's no getting out of this. It's getting worse. It's starting to affect all of us. It's, it's your obligation as a partner to the other 31 to start looking for ways to, uh, to avoid the worst case scenario. And simultaneous to that, some of the same owners, uh, some different owners were approaching Roger Goodell and saying something similar to that, that, look, this is not a spy gate or deflate gate or any one of the thousands of scandals that the NFL has seen over the years. It sort of has a lifespan and it rises and falls and people are happy and sad and somebody gets suspended, but basically it goes away. I think that's what has happened in the last two or three months is a sense of this. This is crystallizing and it's never going to get better as long as Dan Snyder's there. And I think that political assessment has gotten directly to Dan Snyder himself and to Roger Goodell and saying, you know, we don't know exactly where this ends. We're not sure we've got 24 votes, um, but it's not getting better. Something's got to give. And I think that that's, that's what's changed as far as we can tell so far. Right. And, and like you said, it, it's hard to get, you know, tangible information at this point, but you know, people have thoughts and theories and you try to dig into stuff. I think that, um, you know, one thing that I had been wondering, thinking prior to, as I said, this week's bombshell uh, in, in announcement that 
you know, what happens if the Mary Jo White investigation or the Congress, the House Oversight Committee investigation doesn't nail Dan Snyder? Like it doesn't, it, it, it gives out. It's like, okay, well, she said, you know, in the case of Tiffany Johnston, one of the former employees who's alleged harassment by Dan Snyder directly, she said this, he said that, I don't have enough information for an event from several years ago, meaning Mary Jo White, and therefore... We recommend this, but it's not really enough to say you're going to have to take them away, you know, vote them out of the club. And Congress, perhaps to the same degree, but does Dan Snyder now become even more emboldened while still being reviled by so many people? My sense is, and again, this is just the sense that perhaps one thing that happened here was that Mary, that the owners got a got wind of where the Mary Jo White investigation was coming from, including perhaps from Mary Jo White herself she has not interviewed snyder yet or at least hasn't as of like a week ago so ago right. according to snyder's own attorney but nonetheless she's she's looking into the tiffany johnston she's looking into the finances maybe she's looking into some other matters as well and those owners saw enough to feel like okay th- we need to make a move here and maybe that's what pre- presented ursay or gave ursay sort of the impetus to to do do, do what he, he 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 did i think you had some version of that as well in your newsletter and that, that made me feel better about some of the things i had heard but tell well, what do you think about that uh perspective well i mean i think that would be the uh, most straightforward theory and explanation for what's changed in dan snyder's mind is that he has some bit of information or some reason to believe that the chances of him being kicked out of the league against his will have maybe gone from one percent to ten percent And that's enough for him to call Bank of America and say, let's at least educate ourselves and see what this would mean for us. Um, And, you know, 1% to 10%, I don't mean to get too caught up on those numbers, but I'm saying, you know, barring some particular information about what Mary Jo White is likely to find, I think the fact is right now, at least in terms of what the precedent is for kicking people out of the league, um, they're not quite there yet. So your question about what happens if they don't deliver the goods in these investigations is the right one to ask. Uh, because right now, I think if you call it a vote at 1 p.m. this afternoon, I think you'd have a hard time getting to 24. I think there's there's probably sometimes it's helpful to look at the opposite. Like what can you get nine people to support? Because that would mean you wouldn't get to 24. Um, there's a, easily nine people in the room that would say, yeah, I'd love Dan to be gone, but if we do this without solid factual grounding, he's going to take us to court and we might lose. And if that will make the St. Louis relocation, Rams relocation litigation loss seem small. So I think there's a lot of concern about that. So I think, you know, when you think about what's changed in Dan Snyder's minds in the last three or four weeks, some tip, some information about Mary Jo White's investigative direction is sort of the easiest one. Um, if that's become known, it's not widely known. Um, the people I talk to that tell me that the owners have gone to Snyder and, and to Cadell, they don't know what Mary, where Mary Jo White's investigation is leading. Um, but they wouldn't necessarily. You know, one scenario is that they haven't invited, they haven't interviewed Snyder yet, but they're getting ready to. There's been some preliminary discussions between Mary Jo White's team and Dan Snyder's team about, okay, we're going to do an interview a week from Thursday. These are the topics. Those topics alone might tell him that he's got a big problem on his hands. So, you know, it might not be much more than that, but they might be the only people outside the investigation that knows where this is headed. Um, now, Tanya Snyder had been the one representing the organization at the various leagues meetings over the last year, including the recent one in New York. Uh, the other component with this, what's changed over the last couple of weeks that 
those of us here and those of us who were at the stadium in week seven uh, is that, you know, it's been one thing for Dan Snyder to be the 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 the, the front man for a, a, an organization that's lost so much support and fans are incredibly uh, angry. It's another thing, though, when his wife is now the one getting booed. And as we all know, week seven, she's her she's put up on the jumbotron uh, for a breast cancer PSA. She gets booed, and moments later, fans start chanting "sell the team." And the so one of the other theories is that like. You know, hey, uh, Dan, uh, you know, I, I was I was willing to go along with this to a degree. But now if I'm the one getting attacked like this, you know, let's get out of here. Uh, what do you think about any of that aspect uh, factoring into this? I mean, I, I should start with the facts and I don't have any information whether that's true or not, but it would make a lot of sense and wouldn't be unusual in my experience in uh, what is it now um, in in. 14 years of marriage that um, I might have just, you know, just a little bit more tolerance for being unpopular than my wife does. And that it's fine. I might be perfectly content to live my life as an extremely wealthy and extremely unpopular person. Maybe my wife is inclined to go along with that, but she's just got a different tolerance for it. She's like, are you kidding me? This is insane. We could go right off into the sunset and have all the money in the world and go do something else different and, and not put up with this. So I, mean, I think that makes a certain amount of sense. But to tie that back into something I do have more facts on is that that's a good example of this sort of sense that's come over the league since the start of this season in training camp, that there's no getting out of this. That, like I said, this is not the spy gate where it kind of comes and goes, um, that as long as the Snyder's around, this is going to be a thing. And that even turning the team over to Tanya, it might lower the temperatures to a significant degree, but it's not going to fix the problem. Those are the sorts of things that, you know, maybe a month ago, Dan's like, I'm never selling, but I'm willing to consider turning it over to Tanya and really, truly walking away. Sort of the way that Eddie DeBartolo did for the 49ers and turning it over to the Yorks. Um, but, you know, I'm growing more skeptical by the day that that's going to make a difference <laughs> because when she gets booed, when she is, you know, presented uh, in the context of uh, surviving breast cancer and still gets booed, that's how bad it is. There's no coming back from this. And that's a political st statement more than it is a, a factual statement, you know? Right. And like, you know, and this all ties into just forget these various investigations, just the state of the team, right? Whatever plans are existing for building a new stadium, the number of fans in there is, 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 is dropping the, the amount of the capacity. And I think that's also part of just where we are as a society. Right. There's a broad trend towards smaller football stadiums. Yeah, too. For, yeah. For, for sure. But as we, you know, as we see in the game, the, the fan base is way down, um, you know, and, and, and all that. So that brings to the question of, okay, he's exploring all options. Well, what does that mean? I mean, selling, selling it all is what obviously a lot of the fan base is hoping for, but there is the possibility. And the one like, to go back to the idea of what was I thinking a few days ago before all this, I, I think a lot of us were thinking, okay, he had just bought out his minority partners. He and his family now own hundred percent. He doesn't necessarily have the cash to keep going in that direction. And he needs to get some more cash flow, especially if he's unable to get a stadium deal with Virginia, Maryland, or DC. Thus he may have to use his own money to build one. Let's just say on the FedEx field land he already owns. So that seemed to be a potential. And I guess it could still be because the statement was kind of vague. Gary Jones made comments on Friday that were kind of vague. My sense is that that's not really an option for reasons you 
we can get into if you, if you don't say, but like, where are you, where are you at on this idea of, is it, do you think it would be selling the whole thing, part of the thing, or ultimately doing nothing and just actually exploring to see, you know, there's other reasons why he's fronting this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think the, I, I look, I, I think the first story I wrote on this Wednesday afternoon was like just bullet pointing like eight different things that could be going on. And I sort of intentionally didn't seem to, didn't really pick one as the most likely, because this is a legitimately difficult situation to read. Part of Dan Snyder's being so isolated and so unpopular is that the number of people that really know what's going on in his head is vanishingly small. Like say what you will about Jerry Jones, but a lot of people know what's going on in Jerry Jones' mind because he just runs his mouth all the time and people generally like him for all his flaws. Um, so I don't think anybody really knows. I think we can say a few things that a straightforward limited partnership sale may make sense for Dan, but seems to be very difficult to pull off. I mean, who in the hell wants to spend nine figures to be a powerless limited partner to the most unpopular man in sports? Okay, yeah, I mean, NFL teams spin off cash, definitely. So you get a share of that dividend maybe from time to time and you get some tickets, but then everywhere you go, people are asking you about your general partner who you have no authority to actually prevent or alter his behavior in any way, but you're permanently stuck to him. That seems like a hard thing for me to envision a billionaire wanting to do that. So that seems like a long shot. On the other hand, I'm still a skeptic on outright divestment. Um, you know, like hey, last hang, hang in there, listeners. Let's see what he has to say before you jump off a building. Go ahead. Well, it's not that it's not going to happen, but like, okay, so like I grew up in Ohio and I'm surrounded by like AFC North football is my like fan world of so. So maybe you can get this that my perspective on Dan Snyder selling the Redskins or the Commanders, excuse me, is is not unlike my perspective on the Bengals winning a Lombardi trophy last January and February that like no matter how likely it looked, I will believe it till I see it. I've just seen that franchise be unsuccessful too many times to really believe it. So I'm still a skeptic that really this is as straightforward as just walking away just because it's so at odds with everything we know about Dan Snyder. Um, so maybe there's something in between that, that, you know, maybe he's viewing for a, maybe he's going to sell a limited partnership that gives him cash up front, gives him a chance to maybe do a stadium project, but says in five years, the person who owns that 30% share will now have an option to buy me out. Like that's something that sort of allows him to stay here and fight, if you will, um, but sort of acknowledging that, yes, he will eventually leave. That's a scenario that could happen. I think that LP, as much as I said, that the limited partnership wouldn't be very appealing. If there were a guarantee that come back, we, we come back to it later on and give you a chance to buy the whole thing, that becomes more appealing. Um, I also think the less interesting thing here is that, you know, the team is not technically for sale. He's just sort of invited offers. And he may just be educating himself on what is worst case scenario. He might still intend to fight this all the way. He just wants to know what the numbers would be if he did walk away. You know, you can see that. You say, okay, I want to fight. I want to go to court. I want to, you know, die, die facing my enemies here. But I don't really know how much I'd actually get for selling the team. Now, Bank of America comes back to him at Christmas time and says, well, you can sell it for 7-5, but that would be to Jeff Bezos, who you hate. Um, or you could sell it to six, five to a person you'd probably prefer, or you could go to war and, you know, a businessman wants those specific options. So that could be all this is sorry, fans, that, that, that could be all this is. So I, I don't know, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. Uh, people, you know, 
it's hard to know exactly. And this guy is uh, so impulsive that he could easily change his mind, even if he had a thought today. There's so many different tomorrow. On the minority partner aspect, I heard this uh, Kevin Sheehan hosts a, a radio show and a podcast in town, and he talked the other day about uh, the idea that a minority partner would be a real challenge to get through, even beyond the idea that we, we were just saying that who wants to be associated with, with Dan Snyder. But even if you found somebody who's willing to, are the other owners going to then approve this person, which they need to do, because if they want to get Dan Snyder out, approving an, a minority partner to help him out with cash flow or whatever would go against that. Is that a, is that a fair uh, challenge as well from that perspective? That's another very strong point. Um, that would have to be evaluated on the specifics of the agreement. I mean, a limited partnership agreement, aside from the money, would also have a lot of detail about what exactly that limited partner is entitled to. If you remember this situation with his former limited partners, Dwight Shar and Robert Rothman, and I'm forgetting the name of the other one right now, but, um, but uh, you know, like, did they or did they not have ac- uh, rights to access the team's financials? Did they get dividends? You know, all those things. And any anything in those contracts that would be seen as cementing Dan Snyder's control of the red, of the commanders rather than weakening his control would uh, be seen very poorly by the rest of the owners. So that's another reason the limited partner thing without a path to eventual control. Um, strange credulity based on what we currently know. Right now, in terms of the the fun stuff, like who who would actually buy them? I imagine it's it's too early to have any real names, and everybody's just sort of seems like they're throwing out Bezos or anybody who was up for the Broncos' uh, recent ownership sale and came up short there. Um, so I, I won't put you on the spot with that unless you have a name that, uh, that that has struck some particular interest for you. No, no, I think that you know Bezos deserves to be taken seriously because his own newspaper confirmed the people magazine reporting. Um, look, I, I, I want to be clear. I don't believe Jeff Bezos walks into the post newsroom and tells people what to do. I, I, I think that, you know, there are professionals there and he keeps an appropriate arm's length, at least in terms of day-to-day reporting. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist that, you know, they investigate him to help out Bezos. I don't want to be clear. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that if he wasn't interested, I don't think that would be so readily reported by the, the so many other outfits, including the Post, confirmed that initial report. So, so Bezos is real. Question is, for someone like him, how real is it? You know, he might like to buy an NFL team, but only if the price is right. If he wants to buy an NFL team at any price, then it's his. You know, he can outbid anybody other than Elon Musk. And Elon Musk is pretty busy with tra- uh, acquisitions of his own right now. So I don't think that's a thing. So Bezos is real. Um, I think by definition, any of the other three finalists in the Broncos sale should be taken seriously because, you know, they can get the band back together in no time. They all got vetted by the league. Everyone knows their finances. So those are things beyond that. It's a little more than speculation. Um, I see that Byron Allen has put his name out there again. Two points. I think it's fairly obvious that he doesn't have the personal liquidity to buy the team. And it's strange to me that more people don't note that when, uh, when, when he's said to be interested. Um, Robert Smith, the founder of Vista Equity Partner, who is the richest Black American um, he would seem to be potentially in play. Uh, the league really wanted him to buy the Broncos or to bid on the Broncos at least, but he's got some tax and regulatory issues that he needed to settle up. So he, he might be still feeling like he's not quite done with uncle Sam in a way that would allow him to do this, but that would be a popular name. 
Um, other than that, it's it's guesswork at this point. And I would emphasize that the people that end up with these teams are usually not the people you read about ahead of time. The people who are serious don't see much upside to having their name in the paper. Like we don't matter to them. <laughs> you know, they, they want the bankers and other rich people to know they don't want their name. It doesn't usually help you to have your name in the paper in this process. Right. Putting your name out there is to be like, Oh, I, I was considering it versus no, I'll, you'll, you'll know I was interested when I buy them. Right. Um, but, but let me, let me, let me fully my Bezos theory as to why I don't think it happens. You feel free to tell me not. You mentioned the Dan Snyder component, right? He He's not going to be a fan of Bezos. Uh, because his paper is the one that you know has been the driving force for this whole investigation. My other theory is this: now maybe the other owners ha- couldn't do anything about it if Snyder wanted to sell to Bezos, but these owners view themselves as you know incredibly powerful people. I mean, Jerry Jones is you know arguably the most powerful guy in the league. I think that all gets diminished if the rich, if the second richest man in the world. Now, as part of the club, the power is going to shift that way as opposed to the other ones, I would think. So I would think the other owners wouldn't really want Bezos in. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. And I've certainly heard it before. Um, and I think there's probably something to that. You know, they, they want more money. They want well-capitalized owners. But they don't want somebody who could really literally buy and sell them all three times over. That creates some issues. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, I... I it, on one hand, I recognize that as, as a potential issue. I don't mean to steer us off of that entirely, but also that also that, that sort of smacks of maybe overthinking it. You know, if the second oh, richest well, this man... Is, the, this is the first time you and I've ever talked. I'm All, all I do is overthink. So that, that, that's perfectly in line for my brain. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, look, this is a situation where you said earlier, there's not a lot of facts here. So I don't think there's anything wrong with informed speculation. Um, I think that if the second richest man in the world, who's already um, the executive chairman of a league business partner, they already know his money. He wants to write a $6 billion check for a franchise. I think that's going to be, I, 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 I think they might just take that and worry about the power imbalance later. I don't mean to dismiss that entirely, but you know, I, that's hard to turn down in terms of just the strength of the league mindset, you know? For sure. I mean, like, and like you said, if, if the if the and I, uh, you mentioned seven and a half billion, I assume you think on some level that's potentially the range where this could go. If that's true, and Bezos says, "Look, screw it," here, like he pulls the Steve Ballmer move and says, "Here, here's just way more than that." They're probably going to say, "Fine, we'll do it," and 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 uh, and move on. Um, I, right. I'll, I'll 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 just get you out of here on this. I guess. What do you think? What where do you think we're? What do you think happens next? What's the timeline? Do you imagine? for any of this to, to get going? And is there anything we should be keeping an eye on as potentially a tea leave kind of situation beyond Dan Snyder, just definitively saying he's going to sell? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, let me say that seven, five is probably on the high end. That's more of like a Bezos wants to clear the field and <laughs> right. not think about this at all. I don't think that's out of the question, but I think that's, that's probably high to be clear. I don't want people to think that, you know, it's easy to spend other people's billions. Um, <laughs> but to answer your question, um, I think the Mary Jo Wright, White report is really the next step. Um, Congress may beat, uh, her to publishing findings. So I guess that's also a thing that we need to watch. I'm a bit of a skeptic that the congressional report will really break any hugely new ground, but I'm of the opinion that the Mary Jo White report will, to the extent possible, do what the NFL wants it to do. 
And if the NFL is really intent on pushing him out of the league, the Mary Jo White report will deliver the grounds to do so. I think until we know what that report, to, or to a lesser extent, the congressional report says, we're stuck in this realm of speculating because we just don't know how much pressure Dan, exactly how much pressure Dan might feel to sell versus feeling like he can stay on. But within an hour of that Mary Jo Wright report becoming public, we're going to have so much more information about what the state of the, the, the landscape really is here. And I wish I could tell you that that was coming, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas or in January, nothing, but it's been a black box so far. So we don't really know. Um, but I think we're going to have a pretty clear direction of where this is headed, uh, you know, as soon as we've read that report. It's going to be clear whether it's got the grounds to really for them to really go hardball on Dan or not. Pretty, oh, yeah, pretty quickly. All right. And just last thing, you can just answer quick if you want. But let's just say tomorrow we get this. And mon Monday we find out he's selling. How long does the process just take in general? And is there any difference because of the circumstance that they really want him out as opposed to more of a casual sale? Yeah, well, I think the Broncos sale is a pretty fair um, avatar for, for typical behavior. That was officially put for, uh, that was officially put on the sales block in early February. The deal was done in principle and announced in June and it was finalized and as in league approval and actually finally done in early August. So February to August, it was almost six months to the day, uh, four months to the day to have a deal in place. To, so you knew who the owner would be. Um, that's the starting point. I feel like there are things that can make the Snyder commander sale go faster or slower, um, just depending on how this parallel track and the investigation goes too. Awesome. All right. Uh, go follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Fisher SBJ. That's F I S C H E R. Go read him on the uh, Sports Business Journal because uh, he's going to have more information and he's, he's going he's to have the caffeine in the system to keep pumping out uh, all the news on Dan Snyder and the whole NFL. Uh, ben, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Happy to do it. All right. Uh, many thanks to Matt Paris and Ben Fisher for their time. One last thing, of course, uh, some really sad news during the game today. Uh, Coy Gibbs, uh, son of Joe Gibbs, passed away in his sleep at the age of 49. Uh, this is after Joe Gibbs lost his other son, J.D., um, a few years ago. Uh, terrible, terrible tragedy hitting the Gibbs family. Ron Rivera opened up his press conference after the game to offer condolences. And we do here as well uh, for sure. Uh, Coy Gibbs was also in addition to being part of the Joe Gibbs racing. He was um, a coach uh, during Joe Gibbs 2.0 here in Washington um, as well. So uh, obviously terrible news, the, the best of the family for sure. Um, that is it though, for this episode of the standard room only podcast. Uh, we've got a lot more going on this week, obviously. Ron Rivera, as I said, we'll talk Monday. They're, they play next Monday night at Philadelphia. <laughs> the Eagles haven't lost. So, you know, needless to say, it's going to be a big challenge. If they could somehow get a win, that would be amazing. But even if they don't, they've got to take positive steps forward because right after that, Texans and Atlanta, those are going to be two winnable games. So they got to get back to some positive momentum. Um, and um, we'll see what happens. But that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see ya.